Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod on our Unshakable series. We are on test seven of Daniel and in during this test of learning from those who came before, King Belshazzar has failed spectacularly. So what can you do if you failed this test? What can you do if you failed the test of learning from those who came before? Well, you can always start fresh. Once you failed it, you know what? You could say, you know what? I'm going to change. And I'm going to be wise like Daniel and make the wise choices. So the first thing we got to do, we saw last week, is never stop learning because life is all about learning. It doesn't matter how old you are. You got to be learning something new every day of your life. Because if you're not moving forward, you're not just standing still, you're going backwards. So in order to move forward, in order to learn, in order to pass this test, you got to never stop learning. So let's just jump right into the second thing we got to do, and that is to learn the lessons of the prior generation. Now, being a pastor and being in churches at least a third of my time, I dealt with, believe it or not, silly arguments churches have about their services. Yep. If I look back in my time of being a pastor, everything from what songs to sing, to type of music, to instrumental accompaniment to what to say, to how long you should talk during a service, the length of the service, and even what you should wear. Purely inconsequential stuff that people make out to be important things. And I remember studying church history, and I was shocked at how almost every practical issue about the church, they've already dealt with time and time again. And every single issue was discussed ad nauseum throughout history, but we don't learn through our predecessors, so we just continue to debate and repeat the same mistakes over and over again. These aren't new debates. If you look throughout church history, they focus on certain things at certain times. Like they read most of the, of the service, like during the Reformation, at the cost of other things. At other times, they sang a ton. Then at certain times, they sang without instruments. Then at other times, they had massive quantity of instruments. Then if you look at different cultures and different ages around the world, every church service was unique. Throughout the history of the church, they dealt with issue after issue over and over again. And what I learned as I studied was we have so much freedom in having a church service. And we don't realize that we are influenced completely by our history, by our specific culture, by our heritage. And what that did in me at the time when I was studying this and I was thinking about church services, it, it freed me up, gave me freedom and how anything, pretty much anything is okay. I mean, if, if you sing about Jesus and talk about Jesus and pray to Jesus, you're good. Everything else is whatever your culture, context, and condition warrant. And this was really freeing to me as I had grown up in a church that was very strict about this and would only play hymns. And then my current church at the time that I started seminary was vastly different. And they were at the like cutting edge of contemporary music at the time, back in the 90s. And I always wondered which was right. And part of me thought anyone who didn't play English hymns weren't really church, while another part of me loved my current church, while another part of me wondering what the heck was going on and I had no idea what to do. I had people in the denomination I was being ordained in only sang psalms. Churches were leaving over this issue. It was, it was ridiculous. And then other churches just played with no instruments. Then I had people who just played rock, and I had people who just rapped <laughs> in church. 
the the songs. It's just I didn't know what to do. What was right? What was wrong? What should I do? Silly issues that were taking up my time because I didn't know history. So as I said, I was studying church history in my last year of seminary. And my grade on my final church history class was based on a report that I did on a comprehensive look at the first 1900 years of the church from 33 AD to 1900 AD and listed all the issues that the church dealt with, whether it was doctrine, music, or whatever. And it was fascinating to me because what I saw was is that it tended to go in a circle. And after a while, they would go through that circle. They would cycle through the issues. Then they would start all over again years later. And a lot of times they would say the exact opposite or contradictory to the previous cycle of issues. And this went on and on over and over again throughout the years in different countries and different eras. And they would all choose different choices. Which one was right? And I realized that at the time, they never got to the point of that it doesn't matter, that it's not important, that culture, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the day and tons of other factors impact how we have a church service and what's a part of it. It is always has and it always will. And there's freedom in Christ. So you just have, if you've ever struggled over it, let me give you here my guidelines for the church service. You sing to Jesus, you pray to Jesus, you talk about Jesus, everything else is gravy. That's it. (laughs) That's what I learned throughout history. It doesn't matter. It's all based on other things like culture and the spirit of the day and tons of other factors. And so we don't have to worry about there's freedom. We just have those basics and it doesn't matter. We focus so much time on that stuff and then the church gets derailed. And I can tell you that at least a third of my time was spent. And I knew this and it was still spent dealing with these issues and dealing with people and their wants and desires that were different. And so I couldn't really do anything with the church until I dealt with this stuff. Back to Daniel. Now, Belshazzar did not learn anything from his father and grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He could have learned the lessons that would have prevented him and his kingdom from being overthrown because his grandfather had made all these mistakes, but he didn't listen. He didn't learn. And as a result, he lost it all. You got to learn the lesson of the prior generations. And in my job, I learned that to be a better pastor. I had to learn. That's why I studied church history when I was in school so that I wouldn't make the same mistakes that they did. In your job, if you take over, whatever job you take over, one of the best things to to learn from is the people that you're replacing. Hopefully they leave on good terms so you can talk to them and you can learn from their mistakes and you can learn from their successes. And you can learn what not to do, how to relate to people, how to talk with people. One of the best things I did about my very first job out of college, I was moving into a new department and I had the big boss and I asked him, I said, what is the number one thing I can't do in front of the big boss? Because I don't want to make a mistake that will get me fired. I wanted to leave. And he said, a friend of mine said to me, he said, what I've noticed is that he respects people who stand up for themselves. He tries to intimidate people. He goes, I I didn't notice this at first, but being here for four or five years, I finally realized certain things. He goes, he has a bat in his his office. It is an official baseball bat, and it has a bunch of signatures on it, but he likes to play with it and smack his hands with it. He does it to intimidate people. 
I've noticed that there's things in his office purely done for intimidation, but he goes, I've been promoted time and time again, and he's become my biggest factor. I always look him in the eye. I always focus, and I don't back down. What I what I believe, I, I strongly support. So I remember when I first went in and I saw all this stuff, I laughed to myself how obvious this guy was in his intimidation. So when I first met him, this senior executive vice president, when I first met him, I went up to him and I shook his hand, looked him straight in the eye. I said, hi, my name is Matt Mancini. I'm glad to, glad to meet you. And, uh, and I looked at him and he, and the guy was stunned. I don't think, and uh, we talked and we talked about the Eagles because he was a big Eagles fan. I saw he had Philadelphia memorabilia and I was a big Eagles fan. I talked about life growing up and we just shot the breeze for like 20 minutes and he patted me on the back. He goes, I think you're going to have a great time here and go get them. And, and I went out there and I had a great relationship. And after a couple months, he recommended me to do all this stuff. And I had only talked to him that one time and he remembered me. Learn from those who go before you. I don't care what your job is. I don't care where you are in life. If you want to pass the test, making wise choices, learn the lessons of the prior generation. Not like Belshazzar. Job chapter 8, verse 8 and 9 says, Ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing in our days on earth are but a shadow. So what does that mean? In your life, if you're going to be wise, you're going to need four kinds of people in it. There are four relationships you need to become wise. You need mentors, models, partners, and friends. The first thing you need is a mentor. Mentors are your coaches. They're the people who help you along in your life. In my life, I've had many different mentors. Why? Because nobody can teach you everything. So you don't need one mentor for your life. You need somebody that teaches you this and then someone teaches you that and somebody else who teaches you other things. Now, my first mentor was a peer. Doesn't Mentors can be anybody. He was my best friend, my best man at my wedding too. And he mentored me about his expertise on cars. He taught me how to drive, how to drive a stick, how to buy a car, how to see through the lies of car dealers. Taught me so much about cars. And even to this day, I, I have benefited from his teachings. My second mentor when I was uh, a little after I turned 16 was my boss at the Hilton. Uh, it was a hotel restaurant that I worked at, and he taught me how to be a proper person. He really just started how to teach me how to be a normal person because at the time, I was wondering why he hired me because I remember cussing in the interview. I, at the time, I didn't have I didn't have any parents. I was living by myself, and my language, well, let's say my favorite adjective was the F word. My favorite verb was the F word, and he had to fix that because it was not appropriate in the setting that I was at, especially, I mean, this was back in the 80s, and uh, my etiquette would best be described as um, found on the streets. <laughs> he not only taught me how to speak properly, he taught me how to fit into high society. He taught me how to relate to people that had absolutely nothing in common with, with clientele that I was responsible for. He was a great mentor. I remember one time he told me about golf. He said, Matt, we, we, I was in a fine dining restaurant. He goes, Matt, have you ever played golf? And I was like, no, you know anything about a golf? I said, no, I know you hit a ball with, and you hit the thing and they're called clubs. And he sat down with me and gave me a 15 minute primer on golf. And he told me what to say if someone ever asked me. 
to do it. And so I remember I was I was around this 18 top and they were celebrating a big business deal. And this was a big deal because they must have made millions because they had spent over $10,000 on this dinner. And they had ended the night on the most expensive alcohol that we had at the time. It was King Louis Trey. It was $50 a shot. I think it's now $100 a shot. Oh, by the way, it is fantastic. If you ever have a chance if to try King Louis Trey, get a shot of it. It's like a circus in your mouth. It's amazing. Anyway, so I'm walking, and I'm a busboy at the time, and I'm cleaning up all the dishes, and a guy comes up to me. He goes, hey, you play golf? I said, I haven't had the chance to. I've just been working my tail off. And he goes, oh, really? That's a shame. I said, yeah, I really want to get out there and hit some, but I haven't had the chance. And he goes, and I, and I have to work. Need need to get the cash to to pay for the fees. And I, you know, and he said, ah, he goes, here, take this. Enjoy around on me. And it was a $50 bill in my hand. That was just me. That wasn't a tip to the waiter or the tip that I got from the table. That was 50 bucks just me because I was able to talk to the guy about something I had absolutely no idea about from what my boss mentored me about. And I was able to become the best busboy, then server, then host, then caterer, you name it. I like worked my way up, if you will. And it was all because of this mentor at the Hilton. And he was phenomenal to me. He was like a parent when I didn't have one. You need mentors in life to help you through. Because if you don't have a mentor, man, you're going to be left behind. Second relationship you need is models. Models are already doing what you want to do with your life. And we learn fastest by models. All the things you learn, the skills you learn by, are by other people modeling it for you, like how to talk. I want to recommend if you're going to have a model in your life that this may come out as a surprise that they be deceased. <laughs> Why? Because the jury's still out on people who are alive. People will let you down. You know, the jury's still out on me and on you and on everybody else. And some people start off well, but they don't end well. And so you might want to choose a model from history because you can see their life from beginning to end. You can see their highs and their lows, their problems and their pitfalls. But you don't want to choose someone as a model in a few years down the road when they crack up and burn and you've been climbing this ladder of success and you get to the top and you realize I've been climbing the wrong wall. <laughs> my model for my profession as a pastor was Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China. He was known for his sensitivity to Chinese culture and zeal for evangelism. He lived in 1832 to 1905. Now, what is amazing about Hudson Taylor was he adopted wearing native Chinese clothing, even though this was extremely rare among missionaries at that time. Under his leadership, China Inland Mission was singularly non-denominational in practice. He refused to be under one specific denomination because you couldn't work with other people then. He accepted members from all Protestant groups, including individuals from the working class and single women which was scandalous at the time, as well as multinational recruits, totally against everybody else at this period. This was crazy. He totally changed my concept of what I should dress like. Sunday best, whatever fits the culture. Who to serve, an emphasis on showing love, people the love of Christ, and that everything else is not important. Hudson Taylor's amazing. When you think about that, back in the 1800s, or would be 1900s, I think, 
around 1850 when he's in China dressing like them, working with single women and people from other races at the time, other denominations, that was mind-blowing at the time. He was multi-ethnic before that word even existed. It was amazing. That's why he's my model. Third, you need partners. Partners will row the boat with you. They're your coworkers in your profession. Partners can help you, challenge you, and support you. Then, of course, you need the last group, friends. Friends aren't helping you with your girl. They're just friends. Friends love you no matter what you do. You can really mess up and they love you. They understand that you're a good egg even if you're a little cracked. What's a friend? A friend walks into your life when everybody else walks out. That's what you know who your friends are. They're there when you need them the most, when you don't deserve a friend. With these four people in your life, models, mentors, partners, and friends, you can learn from those who have gone before you and not slip up. And the Bible says, listen to the past generations and learn from them. Learn from their stories. You know why so much, the Bible is full of these stories, these biographies, and they're not fairy tales like Cinderella and Aladdin or something. They're real people. Moses was real. Nebuchadnezzar was real. Daniel was real. Jesus was real. And these were people that actually loved. And the reason I love the Bible is because it always tells the truth. It doesn't share just the good stuff about them. It tells about the bad stuff too. And I can relate to all the bad stuff. Much more than the good stuff. When when you see out these guys being all perfect, I can't relate to that. I relate to the bad stuff. I relate to the families. I relate to Elijah going through depression. I relate to David being scared. I relate to Gideon, Gideon hiding in a cave. That's what I relate to. I relate to David messing up multiple, multiple times. It's my favorite Bible stories are the failures of major characters. Because it's not their strength. It's when God helps them in their weakness. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11 says, These things, talking about stuff that's in the Bible, occurred as examples to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil things that they did. For the scripture says that we are to avoid drunken parties, sexual immorality, and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the words patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as warning for us. So, Number one, never stop learning. And number two, learn from the past. Learn from those who went before. And number three, maintain a humble attitude that honors God. You see, humility begins by simply realizing you're not God. And if you've ever get under stress, you got to repeat this three times. God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. I am not responsible for what God does. I'm only responsible for what I can do. You need to realize you're not God. You need to realize you need him. That's humility. And that's what we ultimately need from life. We need God to fill in all of our weak parts. We can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus died on it for us on a cross, gave his life as a ransom for us to take our place. And so if we just simply call out to him, he forgives us completely no matter what we've done or where we are or who we are. And we become a new person all because of him and because of that love he's given us and because he has done everything for us, that humility that has come out of that is what prompts us to make the right decisions. Proverbs 15, 33, you must be humble before you can ever receive honors. You want to start out with a lifelong goal to be wise, get to know God. And the more you get to know him, 
in his word, you're going to be a wiser person. I mean, the Bible tells you what kind of car to buy, right? They all went in one accord. Okay, I'm just kidding. That was really bad. But seriously, you'll be wiser in relationships. You'll be wiser in the way you manage your money. You'll be wiser in handling conflict. You'll be wiser in diffusing situations and problems. You'll be wiser in a whole lot of different areas because you're not depending on your own intellect or your own experiences. You're getting the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the ages. So maintain a humble attitude. So as a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, his attitude of humility is the example for us to follow. Whether it's about his birth, his death on the cross, his life, how many times did he humble himself in life, listening to others slander him? Matthew 20, 28 says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why we're here. Why I do this podcast. Because he loved us and showed us how to be humble. But on the other side, God hates the proud. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Because they're unteachable. They can't learn. They think they know it all. Humility says, I can learn from anybody. You can teach me. Can I teach you? Can other people teach you? Humility learn means that you can learn literally from anybody. So here's the question. Can you learn from anybody? Can you learn from your hated enemy? Elections are coming up. Can you learn from the opposing political party? Can you learn from the person that you don't like the most? So if you're a Democrat, can you learn from Trump? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Can you learn from, who are some other Republican leaders? Can you learn from Pence? If you're a Republican, can you learn from Biden? Can you learn from Pelosi? Oh, you know what? Maybe we're not as humble as we think we are. People are all about getting political right now because it's getting close to election season. But if you want to be wise, can you learn from those who are opposite you in your understanding and beliefs? Maybe we need to sit back and study the life of Jesus fresh. And maybe we will treat other humans the way Jesus treats them. Because right now, I notice that Republicans treat Democrats terribly and Democrats treat Republicans terribly. And I hate it. Maybe we can love each other the way Jesus loved us and gave himself for us on a cross. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. Jesus forgives and he loves. It doesn't matter. Why can't we learn from him? Why do we keep perpetuating that mistake? So if you want to be wise, never stop learning. Learn from those who come before you and be humbled like Jesus. And next pod, we will look at two more ways we can do that to be wise. So I hope this pod in some way encouraged you and challenged you a little bit, and I will see you next week. God bless.